Hey, welcome to Neo Theo. I'm Chris Davis, and this episode we're going to be discussing why you need to stop being biblical. Hey, everyone! Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Neo Theo. So, uh, I want to address an issue here that I, I see that's pretty common, and that, that's this notion of trying to be biblical in all things. Uh, this this has some noble facets to it, but it also has some really negative implications. And I, I want to start by just saying that it is impossible for us to actually be biblical. This, this term is used in so many different ways that I'm, I'm probably going to do two episodes here, uh, breaking it up and trying to uh, really decipher what's going on here with the usage of this term. And in, th- in this episode, I want to talk about the usage of biblical in relation to theology. And it's, it's become very common to talk about theology, and, and people will say, well, I, I want to be biblical. I want a biblical theology. And the, fir- the first problem with this is the, the notion of biblical theology has two technical senses. The first is a school of thought that really has nothing to do with synthesizing the biblical material. It's a higher critical methodology that has uh, come out of Germany in the last uh, couple hundred years, and uh, this, this school of thought in biblical theology believes that the Bible is actually inherently contradictory. And all of the writers of the Bible, from Genesis through Revelation, uh, many of those books not to be included in the Bible by them anyway, but the ones that are to be concluded, uh, included as uh, some sort of canon uh, are, are all contradictory, and they need to be understood in that way. And so each book has its own theology, and we need to understand it in its contradictory nature and let them all contradict each other without seeking to put them together, because they were never intended to be a cohesive whole. So this, this stems from the idea that there really was no supernatural activity taking place in putting the, the Bible together. So God, you know, the idea of inspiration and inerrancy are, are not addressed here because they don't, they don't believe that uh, God, God did this. And so essentially what was going on is uh, some, some Hebrews somewhere down the line were uh, recording some things that they, they believed in their history, much of it in mythology, but they tried to teach us some, some theological insights about God. And that's how we end up getting the Old Testament. And then as for the New Testament, you've got these various um, individuals, many of whom they view not as the actual apostles or people writing these texts, but rather like schools of thought that came together and put these books together much later, at a much later period of time and talked about Jesus and things that were in the past and then gave theological ideas um, that, that were to be taught by this type of mythological speaking. So th- this is actually the, the root of what is called biblical theology. So um, I know that most people don't use that in that way when they say we want to be biblical or have a biblical theology, uh, but it is very frustrating to hear it because that is the foundation of that school of thought. So when people say, I'm, I, I really like biblical theology, um, it, is, it is very annoying because what, what you mean is totally separate from what that term actually means. <laughs> so bi- biblical theology in its, in its foundation is actually an anti-biblical, if we want to go with that word there, anti-biblical theology um, in, the, in the sense that it detracts from the Bible as being Bible or scripture. Uh, now, there, there is an evangelical version of this, and so this is the, the biblical theology model. And still, even here, and so this is the second, second way of viewing this, it still has nothing to do with the, the common notion of being biblical. Uh, the biblical th- theology for evangelicals still uses the same template as this, um, this other version of biblical theology. Instead, we, we are not uh, viewing things as contradictory. They can be massaged later on, but to begin with, every book is to be viewed as its own 
freestanding book. And so in, in the evangelical version of biblical theology, there is the belief that every book has its own theology. So regardless of what you're going to be studying, you're going to look at, uh, and you can also do like the, you know, compilation. So like all Paul's writings may have a con- consistent theology, uh, but, but it's going to be based on author. So Paul has a theology or his writings have a theology. James has a theology. The Gospel of John has a theology. The Gospel of Matthew has a theology. And so each book needs to be studied on its own. And then at, after all that is done, and then there are you know, apparent contradictions or whatever, then you in systematic theology can come back and, and try to massage those out. But for the evangelical that's engaging in biblical theology, uh, they believe that the best course of action is to remove that, that, those type of systematic concerns and just get, get the book itself and, and give us the theology of that text, because that's the way that we can get the most accuracy out of the text. So, um, so the importance of this is that when you are saying that I, I have a biblical theology, you, you, need, you need to stop using that term because that's, that's not what that term means. Uh, what I think you're trying to say is you're saying, I seek to um, have the Bible as my, my theology. And the, this, is, this is where the real problem comes in. Uh, the minute you try to do theology, you have moved beyond the Bible. And so there is no such thing as a biblical theology in, in the, that sense of the, the term. You cannot have a biblical theology. You can have a theology. Now, it has been said that theology is purely a man's enterprise. And I, I, I would add to this that I, I think that theology is a man, man's enterprise, but the Holy Spirit still is active in it. So there, there is a way in which we can do theology that is beneficial to mankind. Like it's not just purely man doing his thing. Uh, but there is no way for you to retain the Bible in your theology and what I mean by that is not that you can't use the Bible to inform your theology or, and that we're not building our theology on Bible verses, but that in order to be actually biblical, to do what you're trying to do here and say you're biblical, the only thing you can do is repeat the Bible. But nobody does this. Like if you, if you were going to go and talk, start talking to me and say, um, I, I believe such and such. And then what comes out of your mouth is just a direct quotation of the Bible. And then you leave it there then I would say to you, sure, okay, you're, you're being biblical. That's great. Uh, but, but there's many problems that creep up when you try to operate like this. Take, for instance, the notion of head coverings. Now, I, there are not many churches that engage in the practice of head coverings for women. Uh, and if you, if you were to read to me the passage from 1 Corinthians, uh, speaking of head coverings, just verbatim, just read that to me, and then, and then leave it at that, and then I go to your church and there's no head coverings in your church, um, I'm, I'm going to be pretty suspicious. I'm going to say, so, so in what sense are you being biblical? If you're reading to me that head coverings are supposed to be in the church, according to the, you know, what Paul's saying here, how exactly are you dealing with this? And you're going to give me an explanation. You're going to say, well, there's, uh, there's some cultural things going on here. You know, and, and then Paul is saying that you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't really have this custom in the, the Jewish uh, background that he's coming from. And so, so he's, he's kind of giving a pass and, and you're going to give various um, explanations of why you don't have head coverings in your church. Well, you just moved beyond the Bible and you just gave me a theological interpretation of, of that text. And I, you know, it becomes so natural that you think you're not doing theology, but you are. You are explaining the Bible in a way that would make sense to your mind and you're trying to express that to others. You have moved beyond the Bible at that point. 
you have you're explaining what the contents of the Bible is. So there's there's no way around this, and this is going to inform you on other areas of Scripture. So let, let's say you do not believe that head coverings should be uh, practiced in the church. Well, this is going to affect the way that you view other things Paul says aren't supposed to be doing, uh, having uh, been done in the church, like women um, uh, teaching or, or speaking, you know, in certain contexts. So, you know, you're, you're going to say, well, if, if, if Paul is mandating head coverings, but we can remove that one, then can't we just remove this other thing, this other statement that Paul makes? And uh, so th- these are the tensions that are there. They're real tensions, and they need to have explanations. But the only way you can make these explanations is by engaging in theology. You cannot just somehow exegete the text to give me a objective explanation of what's going on here. Theology will always inform what you're going to believe. So let's return to this issue of uh, head coverings. So when we're we're talking about 1 Corinthians 11. So when you get when you get into this passage, um, you got uh, verse verse 16 says that if anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. Now, this is an important um, translation here. This this is coming out of the CSB, and uh, many modern translations translate this passage this way. And if it is stated in this way, it actually says that Paul is mandating head coverings. Why? Well, because he says there's no other custom. So he's saying there has to be head coverings. So you really, you really inter- like throwing in this um, command from the apostle at this point. The problem here is that I, you know, I don't think this is the best translation of this passage. There's another option, which is that we have no such custom. And this is the more traditional translation of this passage. The older translations have this, and still some, some newer ones do as well. And you know, I'm not going to get into why I think the translators translated it this way, uh, but ultimately, I, I'm going I'm to say that this is, this is the better translation. It should read, if anyone wants to argue about this, head coverings, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. And so what I, what I think Paul is saying is that we don't, we don't have a custom of the head coverings like this uh, based on what's going on in your society. Like our women don't shave their heads and, and dishonor themselves in sexual practices at the temple. Um, and so, so we don't have this, and the churches around don't don't have this practice. So you you know this is I'm I'm just trying to make a argument and a justification for why you need to have head coverings because culturally in your location you have head coverings, and so it is a good thing. And he's saying for you this is great because it makes sense right in your your setting in Corinth, and um, and so th- this this passage has been changed in the translation to to reflect something that's directly opposite of what what I think Paul is actually saying here. So the reason that's important, though, is because the only way that you're going to arrive at a position on this is through theological argument. The, the text is not going to lead you to this. There is ambiguity in the text, and you're going to have to make a decision based on theology. And so if you're going to tell me you're being biblical, you have no idea what you're talking about because you cannot do it purely from the Bible here. You have to make a theo- theological decision in order to make a decision about translating this text. Now, it can be informed by other Bible passages, and, but, but the point is, at some point along the line, you're going to have to make a decision about something in the Bible, and that something is going to inform something else you're going to interpret in the Bible. And so you, you have moved beyond the, the pure, just written word. You are now making decisions about ways that you're understanding the Bible. And so in your desire to be biblical, I think this is a good thing. You know, I don't, I don't want to, um, I know the title says, Stop Being Biblical. Um, I'm doing that in order to 
you know, to make it as hard as possible. And then, and then we can kind of back off a little bit. And so I, I want to say, like, I, I don't want to just completely end this desire to be biblical. I want it to be uh, refashioned a little bit so that you understand what you're saying by it. You, you cannot be purely biblical. It is impossible if you're going to think through things that are in Scripture. Uh, if you are going to grow in the Lord and in, in knowledge and wisdom, you will have to wrestle with these ideas, and you cannot just keep quoting Bible verses in order to overcome another Bible verse. Um, so those of you who um, have interacted with this, I know it's very frustrating for you because you, you'll have individuals that you'll be talking with, and you'll bring up a passage to them that actually seems to conflict with another passage. And instead of answering and giving in a, you know, a reason, um, reason defense of the position they hold, they're just going to quote another Bible verse to you. And so then the, the question really raises, well, do you actually believe in, in the idea of God's inspired word? Because if you did, I, I'm not sure you'd be comfortable with quoting two contradictory passages to me. Uh, th- this has become too comfortable for some. And now, I, I don't know that this is, this is the majority of the case. I actually have, I have seen the opposite, where people really do try to explain the contradictions. And, and to some, <laughs> some extent, that's, that's gotten out of hand, where, where things are like so massaged that it just, it's too, almost impossible for the, the situation to exist in order to account for it. Uh, and I, I'm not saying there's not good answers for certain con- supposed contradictions in Scripture, but what I'm saying is that sometimes people get too zealous to get rid of it that the answers to it are very outlandish. Uh, but when, when we're dealing with this notion, again, I just, I just want to say, like, you, you, you can be biblical in the sense that I'm, I'm going to derive all of my information for my, my godly life from Scripture. And so in that sense, you are biblical. Uh, and you can stand upon things that are explicitly stated in the Bible. Uh, but just be aware that if you, if you do enter into the realm of theology, there's no such thing as biblical theology. Now, the importance of this should not be missed. Uh, When you're saying that you have the biblical theology, what you are saying is that this is God's authoritative position on such and such a topic. This is why it is so important for us to remove this from our language. When we are dealing with theology, you are by necessity entering into the realm of uh, man's thought. And so you're going to get into areas that you, you are not going to have the authority to just say, yep, this is God's position on it, period. You cannot do that. Uh, there, and, then, you know, and then so people will say like, well, then how, you know, how do we mandate certain things in the church? Well, my answer to that is there are explicit statements in the Bible. You don't even need to have a, a technically a theological position because it's stated specifically. So, you know, for instance, when, when Paul says, uh, that no adulterer is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what I mean, what does that say? I, I don't need to sit here and and do some theological argument about what that means. That that means that uh, adulterers will not enter the kingdom of heaven, right? It's very it's very plain and simple. You you can't really get around that. So then then comes in the question of you know believers practicing this that he deals with later on, and so this is where the theology enters. Do you? As a believer, if you commit adultery, do you enter the kingdom of heaven? Okay, now that, this is where the discussion begins for theology. And individuals will debate over this, and they, they're divided over this. There are two positions. There are some that say, no, if you engage in these practices, then you're not going to enter the kingdom. And there's those that say, yeah, you're forgiven as a believer, you know, and we, we should knock that off, but you're going to enter into the kingdom. Now, this, is, this has been debated from the beginning of the church. I mean, you have had two radically different parties on, on this type of position to the point that individuals in the early church believed that people that actually sinned like this were damned to hell. 
there was no there was no sacrifice left for them, and so they were not allowed to actually be be in the church. They were viewed as just just people that are going to be going to hell, period, because you sinned after being converted. And then you had the other party that was like, that is way too strict, man. And so they let them come to their church, and so that, that created more tension because they're like, well, how can you accept them in a fellowship if we've you know kicked them out of our fellowship and yada, yada. So, so this debate has always gone on. But uh, the reason I'm pointing it out is because this is, this is not a debate of, uh, of biblical proportions at this point. You've already moved into the realm of theology. And the reason we have a debate is because it's not explicit in Scripture. <laughs> so if you've got the ambiguity there, you're going to debate about it. And that's, that's theological discussion. And so... You know, you're going to have to draw the line of like where where you can fellowship with people uh, uh, over these topics and where you, you need to keep your distance. And then also where you can um, where you can call people out on things, you know, because there, there is a line that you can cross in theology that's just too far. Uh, but I would argue that if you're doing that, you're most likely transgressing something explicit in Scripture. Right. You're not you're not just overcoming some sort of random uh, philosophical idea that comes out of theology. You're, you're going against something that is stated clearly in Scripture. One of those might be inspiration of Scripture. And so th- this idea that God has you know, given us the, the Bible through his inspiration is explicitly stated in Scripture. And so if you're going, you know, in your theology, you start, you start you know, pulling away from that, saying, no, I don't know that God really gave us the Bible. Well, you know, you know you're going against this, this statement. And so at that point, you can call people out. You don't, you don't need to say, oh, that's a theological idea. We can, we can wrestle with that and we can agree to disagree. No, you, you can't at that point. Uh, because, you know, especially if you, your foundation is Scripture, which it should be. Like, we all, we all start at Scripture. And so if you're starting there, there's that explicit statement, and that is your point of disagreement, then you have a right to call people out on that. You know, the problem, of course, is that this gets extended to all sorts of stupid ideas. You don't have the right to call people out because they smoke cigarettes, because their body is the temple of the living God. Okay, you don't, you don't get to do that. That is, that is an application of that passage that if you feel comfortable applying that to yourself, then, you know, go for it, brother. Like, that's great. But you don't get to do that to other people that have no conviction about it. You know, if, if somebody is, you know, smoking a cigar or, or, ha- or whatever they're doing that you or having a tattoo, you know, I've heard that one, too. And you're going to you're going to give them a this passage that has something to do with, you know, you can't really affect your temple. Don't do those things to your temple. You know, that is, that is so backward from, from being biblical. You, you are actually using the Bible now as a weapon against other, other believers. And it's being done under this guise of being biblical. Okay, but this is not biblical. This is having a theological opinion that actually you disagree with other people about this in the Christian faith. You know, th- this is a legitimate area that you can disagree on and move on with your life. You have a different conviction. And that's fine. Hey guys, thanks again for joining me at Neo Theo. This is Chris Davis, and this week we discussed part one of why you need to stop being biblical.